Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Behrens. I'm the editor-in-chief here at the IAB. My uh, uh, happy Good Friday to those of you who are celebrating this as a holiday, and happy Friday to everyone else. Today's topic is the importance of the brand-customer relationship in today's climate. Uh, and we have uh, two very special guests who are going to be talking about that with us, uh, our own CEO, Randall Rothenberg. He'll be interviewing Miriam Benakarim, who is the head of marketing for Nextdoor, which is uh, a, a platform that's of extraordinary importance and urgency to people all over the country right now. Uh, we will be uh, open for questions. If you, you let's get uh, uh, Randall and Miriam uh, onto the screen and I'll talk about the how to ask your questions, which is on Twitter. So if you have a question, please post it on Twitter. Please use the okay, hashtag. Uh, please use the hashtag IAB there, all caps, and our producers will capture them and share them with Randall and Miriam. Mer Randall and Miriam, welcome to IAB there. Thank you for coming. I'm going to hand it over to you. Great. Thank you, Brad. Hi, Miriam. How are you? Hi, Randall. How are you? It's uh, uh, under the circumstances, pretty dang great. Um, kind of up here on the uh, the Middle East side by uh, by Bloomingdale's hunkered down and working. How about yourself? Where where are you right now? I'm hunkered down and working in Chelsea. So we, we, we got Manhattan covered between us. Beautiful. Listen, let me introduce you. We've known each other for a very, very long time. In fact, so long that I can't even remember how long. Uh, but for the- Let's uh, not admit it. Yes, we won't admit it. We won't admit it. We, we are, um, I, 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 in the other room, I've been seasoning a new walk. And so I will just say, we are seasoned. Um, let me tell the audience about you because you are, in fact, and no joking aside, one of the most accomplished uh, marketers I've ever known, and it just keeps building uh, from there. Uh, you've been uh, in senior marketing roles for more than 25 years. You've managed global brands uh, in the time I've known you. You've been the global CMO of Hyatt Hotels, one of the uh, largest uh, hotel brands in the world. You've been an SVP and CMO. And as I recall, I think you were also heading sales for a time at Gannett, one of the most- I was, I was, it's true. News companies uh, on earth. Um, you've been honored by Adweek with the uh, Women Trailblazers uh, Council Board. You've been on Fast Companies Impact Council. The one thing I'm struck by, and I wanted to kind of open up by asking you about this and then move on to your new role at, uh, at Nextdoor, uh, the one thing I'm struck by is as I look at Hyatt, at Gannett, uh, now at Nextdoor, all your positions seem to have involved a combination of global brands and a real local focus, you know, businesses that are in specific places. Is there some draw for you in that combination of global and local? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, I was a kid who was born in Iran and we were sort of nomads as a result of the revolution. So I think um, I sort of grew up, you know, not by choice, but by um, circumstance as a global nomad. And I think in the end, it really is all about local, right? I mean, your connections are about the people who are closest to you. Um, and I think that that's sort of been the appeal for all these roles. Is, and, and I think I always sort of thought in connective tissue, right? So how do you go from the micro to the macro and back and forth? So I think that's probably why I did a lot of integrated roles in my career and um, what made these jobs all particularly interesting for me. What, made, what was the initial attraction to, uh, to marketing? Um, 
I grew up, you know, I, I've written about this uh, before. You know, I grew up in a household where uh, my folks were, uh, and all their friends, were deeply involved in marketing and advertising. My dad was a, you know, a professional in the field all his life. But they used to used to tell me, you know, we love you, we support you, you can do anything you want. We're behind yeah. you, but please, please don't go into advertising. How did you end up in the field itself? Yeah, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I, I often think like we become what we see, right? That that phrase is there's a truism to that. Now, in my case, my dad was a banker, although he really wanted to be an architect. Hmm. And my mom did um, strategy work in the TV station in Iran. So I grew up with professional parents. And really, um, I always thought I would be a journalist. I always thought I'd be a foreign correspondent, particularly having, um, you know, um, lived through the revolution in Iran. And um, it was really that that led me to marketing, funny enough. I don't think those two jobs are that dissimilar. I think it requires curiosity and the ability mm -hmm. to connect dots. Um, in fact, when I was in college, I used to write a travel column. It was sort of an insider's guide. Like, how do you write? As a kid who moved a lot, you showed up and you sort of um, were clocking your environment to try and fit in. And so being an insider was something that was super interesting to try and figure out. And I think... Um, the Gap in the 1990s had a campaign called Individuals of Style. I mm -hmm. had this idea of taking that campaign, which they eventually localized because it was so successful, um, and combining it with my insider's guide and convincing the Gap that they should sell that. We now call that branded content. That wasn't a word at the time, but um, I literally mocked this up. You know, people say to me all the time, like, I don't know, why, why did you think you could do that? I mocked it up. I got a meeting at the Gap. Nothing happened. Fast forward. I was at business school at Columbia and Mickey Drexler spoke at a retailing class and somebody knew that I had this mock-up. And so long story short, I put it in the mail to Mickey Drexler and he called and he said to me, um, do you want to come work at the Gap? And I was like, no, I just want to make my guide. And so he connected me to their head of market. I mean, their head of recruiting, Susan Cooper. And Susan Cooper said to me, you should really consider a career in marketing. This is a marketing idea. And to this day, I joke with both Susan Cooper and McKee. In fact, you know, I stay in touch with them that really they started me on my career in marketing. My goodness. I didn't know that story. So that is a, in fact, a <laughs> yeah. fabulous, fabulous. Journalism's lost, but marketing's gain. That's correct. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I probably, I probably gained journalism by leaving it. Although I have to I have to rephrase that at some point. Look, let, let me let me ask you a little bit more uh, about what you learned in the uh, the global brands you worked for before uh, going over to Nextdoor. Um, I'm fascinated that um, you have been on both what we in the industry call the buy side and the sell side. Um, also fascinated that you were at Hyatt during a period of time when. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the travel and hospitality industry became completely aware that it actually needed to be in the communications and entertainment and effectively branded content business almost as a core capability. So how did you see, uh, uh, what did you learn over uh, in your uh, 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 stations of the cross as you worked, uh, worked through the sell side and the buy side as a marketer? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I sort of joke that I was a millennial before my time because I really have had a lot of jobs. And for me, I used to take jobs based on the um, a couple things. Could I have impact? Could I learn? Um, would I um, could I respect the people I worked with? And and was there a purpose? Right. For me, it actually mattered what I worked on. And so, um, you know, I 
started off at Weinar, had a bunch of jobs, early internet at City Search, and then sort of mid-career stepped off and had my own consulting business for five years, and then came back in at Univision, mm -hmm. um, sort of at a time where people really weren't focused on the Hispanic market opportunity. And I always joke, it was like working abroad just domestically. Um, and while I was at Univision, it was in the days where Jerry Parencio owned Univision. We mm -hmm. went to go see um, Roy Spence. Um, Jerry, you know, who people call the man with the Midas touch and gives very, gave very few interviews was kind of an unknown other than to the people, um, in power with whom he, um, you know, communicated on a daily basis because he was a self-made billionaire. Anyway, Jerry wanted to, was convinced by the sales team that we should have, um, we should do some advertising to the trade. And so, um, Katzenberg recommended GSDNM. Him and I went out and met with Roy. And Spence, Roy is and one of the most charismatic people in the entire business. A hundred percent. So he flies, um, with Bob Cahill, his number two to, mm -hmm. um, Austin. I fly in, we have this meeting and Roy Spence says, I don't want to do ads for you. I think you should do purpose work. Mm -hmm. And really that became a seminal turning point for me in my career because, I did purpose work for Jerry there. Um, Jerry was the kind of leader who greenlit that project knowing he was selling the company, something I didn't know at that window, but by the time that work finished, um, he, I recognized he must have known that. So it wasn't about his own gain, it was really about the right thing to do, which was really how Jerry operated. Um, I then ended up doing that work at NBC for Jeff Zucker, finishing it off for Steve Burke. And then that sort of became the through line of my career, right? I think, um, it's not coincidental. I always say like, you only live once, so make sure you make a difference. And so mm. purpose mattered to me as a personal thing. And I picked roles where purpose was part of the DNA of the organization. And I think, um, so what ended up taking me from Gannett, which was really um, a national brand through USA Today, but really inherently a local brand, right? Because we were in over a hundred local markets, mm -hmm. um, was the fact that I believed in the importance of local news, right? It's, I think local news is critical to democracy, particularly well-funded local news, which can um, litigate and bring stories to the forefront. And so helping turn that business around, I thought was you know, something that really mattered. So I did purpose work there and that actually helped us reposition um, the strategy of the company. The reason I ended up going to Hyde is that Mark Hoplomazian, that um, their CEO as disruption began to hit the hospitality business. Now, those of us who'd started off in media you know, we got that early, but hospitality sort of recognized that later. And um, they'd begun to think about purpose and they needed somebody who knew how to activate purpose. And so it was sort of the perfect fit. And again, for me as a kid who had grown up everywhere, um, you know, hospitality was a business I inherently um, mm -hmm. had a passion for and it was experiential, right? And I say hospitality, it's funny, I used to say when I was in media, I would do retail or hospitality. I think those are all very experiential brands just in businesses in different ways. Um, and so really that's what took me um, to Hyatt. And, you know, it's when I look back at my four years there, we worked on all kinds of things, right? Um, we looked at, we did deal work. We looked at other ways we could um, grow the business, not by thinking of ourselves as a hospitality business, but really through the lens of purpose, which was being in the business of care, which led mm -hmm. us to buy things like Miraval and Exhale. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think the broadening of the lens that purpose gives you and sort of that clarity of a North star is really critical. And by the way, super critical in times of crisis, which we now find ourselves in. Yeah. You know, we, as you know, we've been doing at IEB, uh, lots of work. And in, in fact, what I believe to be the seminal work on brand disruption across industries and among the, uh, the most notable, um, aspects of this, just looking uh, doing something that nobody else has done, which is looking 
just longitudinally uh, uh, across segments to try and find out what's going on, not within individual segments, but what's unifying it. Two things stand out. You know, one is that, yes, the same kind of disruption that we thought was unique to digitizable products like uh, uh, media, music, uh, film, uh, also applies to every other product. I mean, we used to say, oh, well, okay, you can digitize a piece of music into an MP3, but you, you can't digitize a pair of eyeglasses. You can't digitize a toothbrush. But the fact is you can by digitizing the uh, supply chain interactions. So that was part one. Part two was exactly what you noted. Now, when you look across this range of what we call direct brands, 90% uh, of them are mission driven. And at a certain point you stand back and say, okay, is this all B BS? They're just doing it as a, a marketing gimmick? And the answer is, well, no, actually, the reason they're creating these companies is these founders are driven by a mission. And the fact is the tools available to allow people to create companies like that. So there is a, a, an actual turn in, um, in the economy. And I think the, uh, the, the, the mechanics of the consumer economy in exactly the way that you've noted. Let me, let me uh, use that as a segue to next door because yep. you took a year off, um, you joined an app. And my first thought was, what? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, led big companies, what's this app? And then of course I do a little exploration. I say, oh, wait a minute. This app looks to me like the logical extension of everything Miriam's done uh, in the past. So let me just ask you first off, what is Nextdoor? How did it begin? And, and what was the connective, the connection that brought you there? Yeah, so I mean, the thing that's interesting about Nextdoor is that it was basically um, started as a way to leverage technology to connect you to your next door neighbors. There was a Pew study that came out that basically said that most Americans didn't know significant numbers of their, I mean, literally, they didn't know any of their neighbors. And that really led the founders to be like, wait a second, that's crazy. And so how can we use technology to solve for that? So that's really the premise on which Nextdoor was found. It's, it's basically a remedy to the bowling alone. Uh, and it's a, you know what? That book was a seminal part of the founding of the company. Mm -hmm. So the Pew study that Charles Blow wrote in 2010 and then the bowling alone book, right? was definitely critical in the inception of the company. Mm -hmm. And I think um, they were very focused on this notion of proximity Right, that it matters for you to know the people closest to you. So geography, I think Sebastian Unger writes about that in his book, Tribe, about how tribes historically were based on proximity. And so knowing your neighbors makes you actually feel connected. And um, the second thing that it was based on was verified members, right? Actually knowing that the people who are within your network are who they say they are and live where they say they are. So the growth was um, not about pure growth. It was actually about making sure that the people were verified, which um, you know meant that it was a little bit harder to get on the platform than just sort of clicking join. It actually required you to be verified, but it created this sense of community and trust where moms will find babysitters in their community, right? And you'd be like, well, wait a second, that's a stranger. Well, it's not really a stranger because you know they live at 415, like three blocks down from you, right? Mm -hmm. So I think um, this was a purpose-driven company, right? At, at its core, um, they were really, you know, um, Roy Spence said once, 
you can't manufacture a purpose. It's really about uncovering your DNA. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, I tell people all the time, it's not about marketing or branding. It's really about your North Star as an organization and the difference you want to make in the world. And so well, Nextdoor's it, purpose is around, go ahead, sorry, Randall. No, 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 I was just thinking, because I think Roy has now created a new business that is called Purpose. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And in fact, we were one of his early clients. I mean, he did the early South by Southwest work. He did the work for me um, at Univision, then at NBC, then at Gannett. So um, I've been doing this. I did this work with Roy um, repeatedly. And by the way, saw the results of it on the business, which is really what makes a difference in the long term. And frankly, Jim Collins is the guy who wrote about it all. And he was really an analytics guy who showed that it actually yielded better results for businesses, right? right. So um, I think Nextdoor's purpose is around um, cultivating kindness in a neighborhood you can rely on. Mm -hmm. And that spoke to me, right? I wasn't sure I was gonna go back in. I was sort of doing a portfolio um, life. I was on a bunch of boards and had um, projects and was doing some teaching at Columbia. But the idea of a neighborhood you can rely on and kindness in this um, era where we feel so divided seemed like, the thing to sign up for. And, I, and it's so funny, when I went out to go meet the team, um, I was remembering that 20 years ago when we first moved to Chelsea and I had my firstborn at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, Natasha had just been born. We moved into the neighborhood and the block association. And you know, my, when I saw the story, my teenagers rolled there. I apparently understood the power of connective tissue and that it made a difference to raise your hand and be willing to put in the work. And so that idea, like, you know, it's so funny because in Chelsea, this is the longest running block association in the history of New York. And oh, so there is this incredible connective tissue to the community. When I, uh, it, 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 it's funny, I'm gonna say something and it's gonna lead into a question, but um, you know, I lived in Brooklyn Heights uh, when I first came to Manhattan, when I first came to New York. <laughs> and it was fascinating because it was a, a community. It was a yeah. real community with community institutions where people knew each other. Uh, I then moved to Dumbo in 1980 uh, when there was no Dumbo other than uh, uh, basically 60 artists and me uh, living in uh, generally illegally in uh, lofts. Um, and that also tight community. And what's somewhat ironic about it is when people think of New York, um, they think of facelessness. They, yeah. they kind of think of, you know, the Edward Hopper uh, uh, painting uh, and ennui and isolation. And the reality of New York is, well, you can find isolation if you want it, but it's pretty hard because the, the, the actual New York is the one that uh, E.B. White characterized in his, uh, you know, short story, This is New York, 70 or 80 years ago, because we're actually bounded by, uh, by a three or four block radius. And we actually do know each other, if not by name, then by sight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which leads me to my, my question. So is, is next door, is your customer base uh, and the, uh, the connectivity you're trying to create for them, is it primarily an urban customer base? Is it suburban? Is it exurban? All of the above? No. So Nextdoor is um, bigger than you would think. And, you know, um, besides the U.S., we're actually in 10 other countries. And the whole idea of Nextdoor is to connect you to your immediate neighborhood and your 
sort of like broader neighborhood. So for me in Chelsea, you know, my neighbor, neighborhood is designed as Chelsea, but I get to see the entire village, right? And so I don't get to see what's happening in Marin. I only sort of, my visibility is really only to my own neighborhood. Um, and we actually are in every neighborhood in the US, right? So suburban, urban, um, even rural. And I think um, what you've been seeing on the platform, particularly in these last four weeks, is that um, engagement is up 80% daily, mm -hmm. um, year over year. And also just new members, are either they were inactive and so they've reactivated or they're coming onto the platform. And I think, um, you know, times of crisis sort of bring people together. We saw this in Sandy here in New York, mm -hmm. right? Where um, you have friends, you have professional networks, there's many ways to be connected to them, but when a crisis happens and FEMA's overrun, the people closest to you become your support network. And right. so um, that's something you're seeing now. The first, when COVID first broke, which is hard to believe is only four weeks ago, what we first saw was the need for information. And so as a platform, we were very focused on connecting to reliable sources of information, whether that was the Red Cross or the CDC or the World Health Organization. We're not the source of the information, we're really the transmitter of that information to you. Quickly, it then went to um, states of need. So people were like, I'm homebound, I can't get out, can somebody run groceries for me? Um, to I'm able-bodied and how can I help, right? And then as um, we began to socially isolate, the conversation again took a turn where it was um, people sharing that information. And then things like I'm having to homeschool my kids, which listen, I would be a terrible homeschooler. <laughs> um, and so people needed to connect and know how to do that, right? Like we're all working from home. My favorite is, um, you know, we all work from home and I see people's husbands and, you know, workout gear going behind them or their children crying. And it's just like, that's just the new normal. Um, but, you know, if you on top of that have to homeschool your kids because they're all home, well, you know, that's a whole new discipline to have to learn. So people were coming to each other's um, sort of rescue on the platform with mm -hmm. that in mind. And then as the reality really began to sink in, because listen, this is actually a crisis. This is not a crisis in just one area. It's a global crisis. And so people are losing jobs, businesses are closing. And so people began to really focus um, not just on supporting the um, sort of unsung heroes, the hospital workers, the people working the checkout at the grocery, but the local businesses, which are really the heart of your business, right? For me, Joe's Coffee Shop is like where everybody goes and we actually all know each other, right? And so what's going to happen to Joe's? They have to lay people off. They're not open. So people began um, sort of crowdsourcing ideas on the platform for how to support their local businesses. And by the way, those local businesses began pivoting to... Um, either takeout or showing you the hours they were open. Um, I don't know, I spoke to the CMO of Denny's yesterday and he said that some of their franchisees are moving to actually being more like grocery stores, right? So I say to marketers all the time in this window, honestly, I say to everybody all the, uh, you know, not even just marketers, um, this is a real need. This is a time of crisis and need. And this is not about pretty pictures. This is about being there in a way where you can really support someone and do it in a meaningful, actionable way that gives them value because that's what people are going to rem remember on the other side of this. Yeah. So you mentioned some statistics uh, um, and you, you, you see so many interactions mm -hmm. on the platform. Um, what are some of the other things that you're seeing that are characterizing uh, this moment in time? Well, so like I said, we had um, engagement numbers went up. In fact, um, it's funny, I noticed somebody joined my neighborhood today and he posted into the feed. He said, it looked like there was lots of people in the neighborhood joining and people in the neighborhood, um, I need the encouragement and hope. So that's 
partly why people get on, right? Because you begin to have a view into your neighborhood, even if you're not leaving the house um, that often. Um, I think we also began to see really a positive tone. I mean, the number of people who raised their hand to help honesty, Randall, was astonishing. Mm -hmm. And people have this perception, particularly of New York, of New Yorkers being unfriendly. <laughs> Before COVID happened, actually, it was such an interesting thing. Before COVID happened, a woman in the village raised her hand and said, I'm just looking for new friends. We all know it gets harder as you get older to make new friends. She was a 50-year-old woman who was Brazilian and a producer, a TV producer. And she posted into the neighborhood, I'm just looking for new friends. And she had 140 comments on that page. Oh, right. People literally were like, here's a meditation class. Here's a book club. Here's my phone number. Here's my email. And they all gathered at Lumi D for coffee, right? And so that need where people were feeling isolated was there before, but now COVID puts it into full relief, right? And so I think um, the number of interactions where you're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing 262% increase in members just talking about helping each other since January. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, and by the way, heartening, right? Like makes you feel better. There is hope. You know, I think the interesting, you know, part of it is, is, is that, uh, and I, I, I think our, our tendency is to say, well, Americans will do X or New Yorkers will do Y. Um, I have a suspicion that this is much more of a global phenomenon, but that crises generally uh, bring out connective tissue. It's in the day-to-day -day hubbub, just yep, going yep. about our normal lives that we, that we kind of disconnect. We put on the headphones and we isolate ourselves. But now kind of here in the privacy of our homes, the desire for that uh, connectivity with uh, certainly family, with friends, and even strangers grows much, much stronger. So, you know, um, I can give you lots of personal stories because I see a lot on my own neighborhood in Chelsea. And of course, um, because of where I sit, I get to have a global view. Um, what you're describing is what we're seeing in all our markets. We're seeing it in England, in Australia, in Spain. Um, you know, when I say to people all the time is that Nextdoor is a way for you to check in daily and in, into what's going on in your local neighborhood, right? You get to just go on and take a pulse. And so what is your neighborhood made up of your neighbors, of your local businesses, of the national brands that are present, but also of your public agencies, right? And so you're seeing Cuomo was on, had just gotten on the platform as did Governor Newsom. And we're ensuring that their information is at the top of your feed so that you can get access to that quickly every day. Right. So, by the way, the government of Catalan, France came on board, the NHS and the UK. I mean, it's global. What is happening is not just in New York or, you know, in Cincinnati, where my husband's from. It's across the globe. Do you think, I mean, this is obviously just a projection based on what you're seeing, that uh, the tendencies that you're seeing between and among people on the next door platform uh, will transcend the crisis. I mean, the, the, the flip side to what we're discussing here is this terrible polarization in the United yeah. States and not just the United States, the, this, this di divide uh, around left, right, uh, 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 populist versus uh, uh, globalist is, is quite intense. Are you seeing uh, glimmers of hopefulness there. A hundred percent. And I think one of the things that's also different about Nextdoor as a platform is that you don't self-select your audience, right? Like we're friends on Facebook. We know the same people. We all tend to ha have similar opinions. And then when somebody doesn't, people unfriend them, right? 
You don't unfriend people when you're on next door. You're seeing your entire neighborhood. So you're not um, curating your interaction. And I think that in the long run, in order for us to solve the divide that we're seeing, not just in the US, but globally, that is a critical piece of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. As somebody who's committed to news and believes in the need for journalism to speak truth to power, I also believe you have to be willing to listen and be empathetic and understand all sides of the equation. And what I love about Nextdoor is that you get to see the good, the bad, the ugly, like just all of it, right? It's your neighborhood. What makes your neighborhood great is the people you know, the kooky guys who actually give the neighborhood color, right? Like what's great about sitting on your stoop? It's the diversity of your Mm -hmm. neighborhood. Mary, is your your revenue model, your monetization model, is it primarily advertising? Yes. So um, our revenue model is based on um, local businesses. So, you know, the Joe's Coffee Shop who wants to get on and communicate to neighbors, all the way to national advertisers like um, H&R Block, for example, who's recently pivoted to allow you to um, do your taxes online, right? Because you're not going in store anymore. So it's sort of that entire spectrum. We have the ability to be hyper-local for somebody who that matters and be hyper-local, but allow you to scale for a national advertiser. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are the uh, what what are the essentials of advertising on the platform? Uh, what is the um, what is the, uh, the the way you make yourself uh, you differentiate yourself with say national advertisers that have other options, uh, but also the local advertisers that may not have the uh, the understanding of how best to use uh, digital when they've been so accustomed to weekly newspapers, for example. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I'm. Um... You know, it's so funny. Years ago, I worked at City Search in the early days. And guess what we were selling was like, I remember going to see Danny Meyer when he only had one place, right? So um, they've become, I think local businesses have become more savvy than 20 years ago. That being said, we do a lot of education, right? Because you have to make sure that, I mean, you don't just want them on the platform. You want them on the platform and have that work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the models are native display, video, rich media, email, and then we have this for sale and free marketplace, which we now enable ads in. Now, those are the things that are there today. But honestly, as the, um, what, why people come on is you can obviously hyper target, right? So if you're Joe's and you want to just reach people in Chelsea, there's an ability to do that. And if you're H&R Block and you want to have that at scale, you want to do that. Today, what's in full relief is the fact that hyper local information matters, right? Like if you're Petco, you need to let people in each neighborhood know where that store is that they can do drive-by pickup from, right? Like that hyper-local information is not about just branding. It's actually about really relevant content. And that I think is um, what you're seeing on the platform. But the product team is evolving the um, platform on a daily basis in response to real-time information that we're getting. So we launched a group functionality to make it easier for people who want to help to find each other. Um, that also was available to businesses. And we also launched a map functionality where you can raise your hand and sort of pin yourself on a map to figure out who is offering help closest to you. Now, businesses are looking at that map to say, okay, well, here's my store, here are my hours, and here's where like you can do takeout and delivery. Really, creative. we're doing the same thing for local businesses. Very creative, very creative. Um, I'm getting the uh, the times up sign from <laughs> my team that is peering over my virtual shoulder and virtually whispering in my ear. So I just want to thank you, Marian Benacarum, for uh, uh, for gracing us with this time. Uh, you are, as I've said, one of the most uh, uh, adept and experienced uh, marketers and business leaders that I've worked with. And um, as you have done in the past, you have found yourself in uh, 
the uh, perfect and uh, really one of the most important platforms uh, of our moment. So uh, uh, I'm hoping everyone in our audience checks out uh, Nextdoor immediately afterwards. Thanks for joining us here on IEB There. I'm going to give the uh, closing credits. Well, thank you for having me. And honestly, it was so nice to actually connect, right? It matters. So yeah, it matters, um, it it matters was, a lot. This won't be the last time. I'm going to give you, <laughs> give you a call. I, I count on it. Over, over your shoulder and looking at the, looking at the stove. Um, folks, next Monday's IEB There, we are excited to welcome Samantha Ski, the CEO of She Media, to discuss women, media consumption, and business. Uh, during the coronavirus crisis. Next week is a very big week uh, on IEB there. On Tuesday, our guest is Michael Barrett, the CEO of Rubicon Project. On Wednesday, our SVP of Research, Sue Hogan, will discuss the latest release of IEB's Advertising and Marketing Spend Pulse Survey. Thursday's guest is Nicole Pangas, the CEO of Ampersand. And one week from today, we have David Kenny the CEO of Nielsen. So next week is very much a heavy CEO, data and research week. Uh, IEB there is not done either by me solo or Brad Barron solo. There is a team behind us without whom it could not be done. IEB there is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ounce, John Ward, Twafika Mohanudin and Haley Bloom. I'm Randall Rothenberg, the CEO of the IEB. Thank you for watching and listening. Come back on Monday. To